Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwartz-Schrauber, your host. On today's show, catching up with the FCC, joining me in the studio is Matthew Berry, Chief of Staff to FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai. Matthew, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Evan. And uh, as you know, we've had your boss, uh, Commissioner Pai, on the show. We've had uh, your colleague, Commissioner O'Reilly. Can you guarantee that by the end of this episode, you can deliver me the chairman as a guest? You know, I can't make that guarantee, unfortunately. Oh, man. What a bummer. Well, anyway, we'll get on with the show. So in our first episode with uh, Commissioner O'Reilly last week, we touched on this a little bit, but today we're going to get into a little, uh, it a little bit more. The Lifeline Program. This mm-hmm. is the universal service program um, that is provides uh, subsidies for landline telephone service, for wireless service. And uh, it is also the source of the fees that Americans might notice on their phone bills. And uh, those fees then go to pay subsidies for people who are eligible and who theoretically could not afford telephone service otherwise. And recently, the FCC voted to extend this program to broadband as a... uh, as an after effect of the reclassification of broadband as a telecommunications provider um, and that loosely uh, defines net neutrality that we can get into (laughs) on a separate episode. But what happened was, as uh, Politico referred to it as FCC intrigue, uh, you had a deal with a Democrat commissioner and then that deal kind of blew up. So Matthew, take us through what happened. Sure. So um, the... uh Chairman proposed expanding the Lifeline program to include uh, broadband subsidies. And, um, you know, Commissioner Pai uh, and Commissioner O'Reilly do not oppose and have not opposed the principle of doing that. But what the Republicans have said from the beginning is that we need to do this in a fiscally responsible way. The reason being that this is a program that has been plagued by waste, fraud, and abuse. Uh, Before the beginning of the Obama administration, the program spent less than a billion dollars a year. Um, By 2012, we were spending over $2 billion a year. A massive amount of people were getting subsidies that were not eligible. Um, The FCC took some steps to crack down on fraud, and we've gotten spending down to about $1.5 billion but it's still well above what it was at the beginning of the administration, and there's still plenty of waste, fraud, and abuse. So what we tried to do is, working within the confines of the chairman's proposal, have some targeted reforms to make this a more fiscally responsible program. So for example, what we originally proposed was, let's put a cap on the program at $1.75 billion. Um, The We also said that we need a way of enforcing the cap so that the subsidies would go down if we hit that $1.75 billion cap. Um, We also said um, that we need to cut back the areas where the enhanced subsidy is given for tribal areas because right now um, the subsidy is $9.25 a month, but in tribal lands it's $34.25 a month. And that's whether or not you're a Native American. The problem is, is that many cities are now classified as tribal lands. So, for instance, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Reno, Nevada. If you're low income there, you get thirty-four twenty-five a month in a subsidy. That's outrageous, and we wanted to crack down on that. And finally, we said, you know, the FCC has said that 
25 megabit per second um, broadband as table stakes for the 21st century. And in our merger analysis, we say that's what matters, 25 megabits per second. Well, in the chairman's original proposal, um, the minimum standard for the subsidy would, would have been 10 megabits per second. And we said, why would we want to provide a subsidy for something the FCC doesn't even think meets table stakes for the 21st century? And so we proposed moving that up to 25 megabit per second. So that's the plan that we put on the table and that formed the basis of our negotiations with Commissioner Clyburn. And it's notable that you started from from a place of compromise. You you agreed that the given the title to reclassification of the internet or as of broadband as a common carrier service, mm-hmm. that this was a natural after effect to extend the subsidies in Lifeline to broadband. You weren't disputing that basic point, but you wanted to reform the program. So already you're starting kind of from a compromise position and it wasn't going to, you weren't going to save anyone from taxes. You weren't trying to ram through some big time, you know, Republican thing. You were trying to negotiate as commissioners do. And was it actually Commissioner Clyburn, a Democrat on the FCC, who approached you in the first place? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, in response to your first point, what we offered absolutely was a compromise. It was not what we would ideally like. Right. So right now, spending on the program is around $1.5 billion a year. Our cap that we came up with originally was $1.75 billion. That's not the number we would have picked if it were solely up to us. Last year, we were at $1.6 billion. We don't see a need for spending increase on the program, but we were willing to do it in order to have a compromise. So, and there were many other things in the order, by the way, that we did not like, but that we did not propose changing because we knew that wasn't going to get anywhere. Right. So after we put our proposal on the table, uh, Commissioner Clyburn did come to us and came to Commissioner O'Reilly and said she was interested in trying to reach a deal. And we began negotiating, um, you know, on that basis. And just how uncommon is this for the current FCC and for past FCCs? As listeners are probably aware now, we've mentioned this several times, the FCC is always three commissioners from the president's party, two commissioners from the minority party. So you end up with a lot of three, two partisan votes. But this was a rare moment where one of the Democrats who has two other Democrat colleagues that they could just do whatever they want, she approaches the two Republicans to make a deal. Is that uncommon for this FCC? Is, uh, is it uncommon for other past FCCs? So it's very uncommon for this FCC. I mean, as you, I think, have spoken about in other programs, other podcasts, um, we have seen a record number of partisan votes under this chairman. And especially on big ticket items, the idea of trying to come to the table on a bipartisan compromise just has not been done. Um, But that is a departure from FCC tradition where under most chairmen, you've seen real efforts to get to bipartisan compromise, even on difficult issues. For instance, the universal service reforms that were passed under Chairman Janikowski were all done on a bipartisan basis. Um, and it's not uncommon for, in the past, for you know one FCC commissioner from one party to work with a couple from the other party to try to come up with a deal. For instance, whatever you think of the merits of what they did back under Chairman Powell, Commissioner Martin, a Republican, worked with the two Democrats, and they you know, came up with a deal in terms of the triennial review and the whole unbundling issues um, to implement the Telecom Act of 96. So there's a long tradition of bipartisan collaboration at the commission. I think the negotiations we had with Commissioner Clyburn were very much in that spirit. Um, and, um, you know, it's only rare because of the way this chairman operates. 
So to set the stage for what happened on what was a crazy day uh, for press, for groups like us who comment on FCC matters, uh, it was the monthly meeting where the FCC Mm -hmm. has an open meeting. You can live stream it on the web. You can attend in person, and Mm -hmm. they vote on rulemaking. Mm -hmm. As they say, you know, they had previously released a lifeline proposal, and we are now going to vote on it. That's kind of how that works. And it's always a busy day before leading up to that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys spent a lot of time. You stayed up pretty pretty mm-hmm. damn late to get this done. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Clyburn probably showed up uh, to the meeting with maybe two hours of sleep. <laughs> and the meeting was supposed to start at 10.30 a.m. It got delayed. Then it got delayed again. What happened between striking the deal that, mm-hmm. you, that Commissioner Pye, O'Reilly, and Clyburn would were willing to support and that then Chairman Wheeler and Rosenworcel could make up their minds. What happened with that deal? Why did it not come to pass? Sure. Well, the day before the meeting, we had very active negotiations and we were able to arrive at a deal. And I think it's important to note that the deal that we made included very painful compromises from a Republican perspective. Most importantly, we moved the cap from $1.75 billion to $2 billion. And keep in mind, current lifeline spending is about $1.5 to $1.6 billion a year. So Republicans were willing to sign off on approximately a potentially a 30% increase in lifeline spending. That was very, very painful. That was not something we did lightly, but we thought that it was worth it if we could get a hard cap on the program. Right, and it's worth noting that there there is or was previously or maybe still isn't a cap on this program. There is no cap. It's it, just, a, you know, as many people sign up, then we're going to pay that amount, even if it's fraudulent and the like. Right. Um, so we reached an agreement in principle uh, the night before the meeting, and then we got to work on writing the specific language, because the devil can be in the details and how you a- actually write things. And we went back and forth among the offices, and... By at 9.49 a.m., we actually had a signed, sealed deal on specific language. And, and this is 45 minutes before the meeting where you're supposed to vote on this and it's supposed to pass because you have a deal. Yes, we had, yeah, it was 41 minutes before the meeting. And so, um, and so we expected then that the commissioners would go down at 10.30 and we would start the meeting and have votes. And it's worth noting that Chairman Wheeler normally is very, very, you know, also compulsive about starting the meeting exactly on time. And if you're like two minutes late, he'll give you like a dirty look. <laughs> um, but then all of a sudden, the chairman decided not to start the meeting at 1030. And we were told the meeting was going to be postponed until noon. Um, and then, you know, we started getting some hints that, you know, the chairman's office was very upset about what had happened and that pressure was being put on Commissioner Clyburn to back out of the deal that we had. Um, then, uh, I think about 11.50, 11.55, both Commissioner Pye and Commissioner O'Reilly went down to the commission meeting room for, this, for the meeting to start at noon. We had our statements all ready to go. We had a very nice statement praising the deal that had been made, but the Democratic commissioners never showed up. Then someone from the chairman's office came down and told us, oh, the meeting's going to be postponed until 1.30. Uh, they needed more time to put pressure on Commissioner Clyburn. And then, I don't remember the exact time, but, you know, sometime between noon and 1.30, um, you know, Commissioner Clyburn's office reached out to us. There were discussions, and it was made very clear to us that she could no longer support the deal that she had made, that too much pressure was being put on her, and that she had to back out. 
So the she withdrew her support for the deal, and we went back to the chairman's original proposal. They delayed the meeting for another half hour, from one thirty to two, and so then they, you know, we had the meeting at two, and the chairman's proposal was passed on a party line vote. And what what type of pressure are we talking about here? I mean, I, of course, Commissioner Clyburn in her in, in the Politico newsletter that went out uh, after this happened said, "Oh, of course, there was no pressure put on me. I came to this realization just randomly after agreeing to a deal at nine forty-five. I just had this massive change mm-hmm. of heart and yada yada yada." But I think we can read between the lines there. What type of pressure can a commissioner, or sorry, the FCC chairman, put on a commissioner? You've got five commissioners. They're all independent. Mm-hmm. They serve at the president's pleasure not the chairman's pleasure. So the only person who could remove them theoretically would be the president. So what type of pressure can Chairman Wheeler put on Commissioner Clyburn that she reneges on her own deal that she reached out to you to make in the first place? Right. Well, so the the one thing that we know happened is that the chairman went and met with Commissioner Clyburn. And um, I can't reveal, you know, everything we know about what was said in those meetings, but it's been made very clear to us that he expressed his extreme displeasure to her in terms of what she had done. Uh, More importantly, the chairman's office leaked to Politico what the contours of the deal were, and then they riled up members of Congress and people from left-wing special interest group to lobby Commissioner Clyburn to change her mind. And um, we know about the members of Congress and the staff from Congress because um, they had to put into the record, pursuant to the FCC rules, um, a letter that included all of the phone calls and emails that were sent and made that day to get Commissioner Clyburn to back out of the deal. And um, there's no doubt in my mind that all of this was orchestrated by the chairman's office. And uh, the whole reason they delayed the meeting was to allow people to have time to pressure her to back out of the deal. Had we had the meeting at 1030, um, the deal would have been ratified by the commission. And we can't understate the importance of outside influence on what the commission does. I mean, when we, we, we mentioned the Title II order earlier, the net neutrality regulations that the commission adopted in February of 2015 took effect in June of 2015, currently being litigated, and that decision could come down any Tuesday and Friday until the court decides to. Mm-hmm. But that was largely driven by activism. That was people com- or people commenting to the FCC. It was John Oliver's famous monsters who just commented and sent in hate mail to, to Tom mm-hmm. Wheeler, and that's how policy was made. So it is important to note that how important it is that he delayed the meeting, allowed probably a flood of emails and phone calls to come in, mm-hmm. you know, telling her she's betraying whoever and that she's betraying her principles and whatever it took to get her to back down. And let's not let's not pretend that these special interest groups do not have a ton of influence, at least with this current chairman. Oh, no, that's absolutely right. And um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you make a deal and then you back out of it, um, responsibility for that has to fall on you. Um, but on the but at the same time, you know, I, I do think that Commissioner Clyburn was put under extraordinary pressure to change her mind. I think the chairman treated her very unfairly by delaying the meeting and leaking what she had agreed to and trying to rile up opposition to what she had done. So, listen, I, I think Chair, Commissioner Clyburn has to shoulder blame for what happened. I, I don't think you should make a deal and back out of it. Right. But she was put in a very, very bad position by Chairman Wheeler. And I think at the end of the day, the greater 
portion of the responsibility does lie with Chairman Wheeler because he, um, you know, manipulated the commission's processes um, to pressure Commissioner Clyburn to back out of her deal. And one of the most amazing things I saw in the aftermath of this was uh, that people criticized or, or scrutinized the chairman and said, uh, so there was a deal. Uh, it was going to be maybe three to two with Commissioner O'Reilly, Pye, and Clyburn voting. It might have been four to one if uh, Commissioner Rosenberg or the chairman himself uh, joined mm-hmm. in. But either way, there was a deal. And then it got blown up. Well, what the hell happened? And he said, the deliberative process does not always reach a consensus. Mm-hmm. Now, my first reaction to that was, but there was a deliberative process, and it did reach a consensus. Yes. But but do you have a response to that uh, statement? No, there was a deliberative process, and it did reach a consensus, and the chairman acted to blow up the consensus. I mean, the other thing that I would say, and it, it gives me no joy to say this, but, you know, at the press conference following the meeting, the chairman just did not tell the truth. He lied. He denied pressuring Commissioner Clyburn to change her mind, and we have firsthand knowledge that's what happened. And I don't think anyone seriously believes his denial that he pressured her to change her mind. Yeah, um, it's a three-hour delay. What, yes. what else would possibly explain this? And, yeah. and so, you know, I, I just don't think the chairman has, It's again, it gives me no joy to say this, but he has no credibility when he makes statements about what happened because at least some of what he said, everyone knows is not true. It's just a lie. Well, that's... Unfortunate, because this really would have been one of those rare instances of bipartisanship at a commission that, as you have pointed out, has been just far too often three to two votes uh, on issues that haven't necessarily always been this political. Tech policy has been one of those rare bright spots in what has otherwise been an extremely polarized commission. Just today, we're going to see some um, some movement on email privacy that is bipartisan. So it doesn't have to be this way. And, you know, we've speculated about the motivations. Uh, You know, you could say that maybe Chairman Wheeler really believed that putting a cap on the program was bad or that he really believed the policy was was not good. But it's hard to not speculate about other motives, about being in control. And, And how much do you attribute just difficulty in him seeing other commissioners doing work without him was that part of it or what do you think it was really that he just disagreed on policy grounds no i think that was most of it i think that um one person with first-hand knowledge of the situation described him as being apoplectic that a deal was being made without his approval and i think that you know he wants to be in complete control of what the commission does. Um, He very much has the uh, uh, idea that, you know, the Democrats um, have to side with him. And I think it drove him crazy on a personal basis that he had lost control of the item and that it was going to be reported that the item was the result of negotiations that he was not a part of. Incidentally, by the way, um, we would have loved to have him as part of the negotiations. Of course. But, but when we presented our proposal, he said his office said that they could not accommodate any one of our four prongs. There was no room for movement. So, no, I, I don't think this was at all about a principled opposition to a $2 billion spending cap. Um, and instead, this was just about him personally wanting to maintain control of the commission and being very upset that one of the Democrats, who's supposed to be loyal to him, had dared to go out on her own and negotiate with us. 
So this is more about FCC politics than policy, which is uh, unfortunately too often the case. Uh, so just to wrap up, uh, the immediate effects of the order that did get voted on, which was not the deal that your office struck. It was now a deal that Wheeler bamboozled uh, his way through. And uh, other than I, I think there's going to be an 18% tax on broadband bills. Um, are there any other immediate effects that listeners should be aware of? Well, I mean, I think that the most important thing is that we have expanded the program to include broadband without imposing measures to ensure fiscal responsibility. So, in the item that was was that was voted on, we have they they have what they say is a two point two five billion dollar budget, and it's important to note, by the way, two point two five billion is a approximately fifty percent increase in spending five zero. But even that is a fraud because. If you hit 2.25 billion and you go over it, nothing happens except a bureau with the FCC has to do a report. There's nothing that stops spending from going over 2.25 billion. The commission doesn't have to do anything with those with the um, with the report. Then the bureau can just say uh, the report finds that the going over the budget was necessary right. for whatever reason. So we have set the stage for an explosion in lifeline spending and who funds that spending. It's the American consumer with a tax that's placed on your phone bill. I think it's inevitable the tax is going to be extended to the broad your broadband bill. Um, unless the, you know, the Title II order is overturned in court. So, you know, what this will mean is more taxes for the American people. And we also missed a real opportunity to cut down on fraud, waste, and abuse within the program. Well, are there any other parting thoughts before we wrap up this uh, very cheerful episode? <laughs> no, no. I, uh, I would just say that, you know, I think that what we saw the day before the meeting represented you know what the FCC can be at its best because you had people coming from very different viewpoints um, but you know sat down together and were able to come up with a bipartisan compromise that didn't give anyone everything they wanted but gave everyone something that they wanted well that's the nature of compromise yes. and then the next day we saw really what was the FCC at its worst and quite frankly what we've seen too, far too much of over the last three years which is um, that bipartisan compromise being scuttled and a desire to, you know, abuse FCC processes in order to ensure these partisan 3-2 votes where Republicans are completely shut out of the process. So um, the what happened the day before does give me some hope, but what happened the day of the meeting um, really, you know, leaves a very sour taste in one's mouth. And really leaves one to question how much room in the in this commission there is to work together in the future because there, there just doesn't seem to be any interest whatsoever in terms of the chairman's office of uh, doing that. Well, let's hope that uh, we see more of that day before stuff <laughs> and less of that day after stuff. But uh, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Matthew Berry, Chief of Staff to Commissioner Ajit Pai. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Evan. Follow us on Twitter at Tech Freedom or on Facebook.com slash Tech Freedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It will help us and it will help others find the show. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.